somebody who's passionate about wanting to just start something, there's no way that you can kind of convince them not to, because this is not really a head equation thing. This is definitely like where your heart is. And if your heart is, you know, passionate about making colors or dyeing or knitting and making knitting patterns, all these kinds of things, these are things that you can almost not be convinced not to do, even though people will tell you that, you know, it's so difficult. That was Felicia Lowe, entrepreneur and owner of Sweet Georgia Yarns, on this episode of the Power Pearls podcast, where you'll always hear candid conversations with everyday knitters and designers with compelling backstories. I'm Kara Gott Warner, editor of Creative Knitting Magazine, and I will dig deep and ask the big question, why we started knitting and what keeps our needles going. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Power Pearls podcast. Today I'm chatting with Felicia Lowe, who is a visual designer and entrepreneur born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. In 2005, she founded Sweet Georgia Yarns, an artisan hand-dyed yarn company that expresses her passionate, relentless, and unapologetic love of color. Welcome to the Power Pearls podcast, Felicia. Thank you for having me. Well, this is great. So, you know, before we dig in to the episode and, you know, when you get a chance to share all the many inspiring things that you have to tell to the listeners, can you jump in and share a bit more about yourself and how your love affair with knitting and yarn began? Well, I think it all started when I was a kid. Um, I think like many of us, I was a really crafty kid. I was always making things. Um, my parents bought um, us a set of the World Book Encyclopedia, and then together with that came the Childcraft Encyclopedia in the 1980s. And I don't know if you are familiar with any of these books. But mm-hmm. they are like, there's, I think, 20 of them, and they're all on different topics and things like that, about geography or you know, culture or history and things like that. But there was one volume that's called the Make and Do volume. Volume, and that's the only one that I ever read. And it was things <laughs> like, you know, how to make your own potato stamps, how to make your own orange punch, how to make your own Halloween costumes. And I was just obsessed with making things. So it could be anything from like paper craft. I did embroidery. I did all sorts of things. And um, I think I watched my mom sew her own dress with a sewing machine, and she was on the floor cutting from patterns and things like that. And from that, I snuck into her basement and started trying to use the sewing machine without anybody knowing. I just kind of like sneak down there and use the sewing machine. And eventually I broke the machine. And um, it was amazing now that I think back about it. Like she didn't ever get mad. My parents didn't get mad. They didn't scold me or anything like that. They just kind of went, okay. Um, and then they went out and they bought a new sewing machine. It's not like an expensive machine. It's just like from Sears or something like that. And... They just kind of let me keep going and just keep going with it. And they never sat down with me. And my mom didn't like sit next to me and then show me how to sew or anything like that. She just allowed me free reign to go figure it out myself. So I was out there with like the manual for this Kenmore sewing machine trying to figure things out. And um, I kind of carried that feeling of enjoying being self-taught through lots of things. So when I was in elementary school, I sent away for a pamphlet on how to knit. And so when I got this back, I basically just taught myself how to knit with supplies that uh, my mom's friends had sort of gifted to us. And we went to Kmart and bought some aluminum knitting needles and some acrylic yarn, (laughs) those kinds of things. And I just enjoyed teaching myself the techniques and um, trying different things and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I was born in Vancouver, but when, we were t- when I was two, we moved to Toronto and we lived there for a while. And um, when I was just about to start high school, we moved back to Vancouver. And so I was there like three, four months before high school started and I knew nobody in my neighborhood. And so I took that time over the summer to really just sit and knit and I knit a lot that summer and watched a lot of like Taiwanese videos and dramas and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) soap operas and I I really spent those few months 
um, knitting and knit my first sweater and all this kind of stuff. Wow. High school. Um, and I was just obsessed with it. Like there was always a basket of knitting next to my bed. And yeah, so between knitting and sewing throughout high school, um, yeah, that's mainly what I spent a lot of my spare time on. Wow. So you taught yourself from a book. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not many, not, that's a huge feat. Not many people can pick up a book and, and teach themselves how to knit from, you know, yeah. teach themselves that way. I mean, usually it was your mother or your grandmother or a yarn shop. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. I'm impressed. Yeah, I mean, like my mom, she knit, she knit a couple of things for us when we were kids, but she didn't like sit down next to me and then show me how to make stitches or anything like that. Like I, I was really kind of a nerd and I used to really enjoy going to the library. So I'd go to the library and bring home 20 books all about knitting and stuff like that. And there's Kay Facet in there and there's Sasha Kagan and all this kind of stuff. And that's what I just that's what I nerded out about when I was a kid. <laughs> wow. So you made your first sweater before high school? Yeah. Wow. What was that like? What was your first sweater like? Do you still have it? I still have it somewhere. It's like lilac purple and acrylic. <laughs> um, it was a cabled yarn and um, it wore very well. I wore it up until university and it got holes in it and it got stains, but like it's acrylic, so it lasted forever, mm. and uh, there was no pilling. It was it was great. <laughs> I loved it. Wow, wow, that is so cool. So you know, let's um, kind of move forward a little bit here then in history. So you know, you you so you discovered knitting at an early age, and you know, it's been with you for a really long time. So you know, is there a pivotal time in your life that knitting helped you get through, or can you share? You know one or a couple of the biggest lessons that knitting has taught you. So I really want you to go deep here. Do you have a deep, a, you know, a deep story, <laughs> you know, just something that, that you can, that you can dive into yeah. here. So like I, I think of all of these fiber and fabric and yarn crafts kind of all as one thing that I love to do. So knitting, um, after university, I learned how to spin, I learned how to dye, learned how to weave, all those kinds of things were all kind of part of this fiber arts world, right? And so I think the pivotal moment or the, like the big thing that happened to me was during um, my late 20s, um, I went through, I guess what, you know, people call that quarter life crisis. It sounds really hokey, but I think it's like a real thing. Hmm, I never heard of that before. Really? Quarter, quarter life, life crisis? <laughs> no, I never heard of that. <laughs> it sounds really... Wow. Yeah, it sounds a little silly, but um, I think it's a real thing. And I notice in other, other friends as well and things like that. And I was just like, maybe personally things were um, like, everything was just like in in a place where you imagine things to be like, you know, you have the house and you have the car and you have the job and you have the blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And I think I was about, you know, 27, 28. And I just kind of got to the feeling where, well, it's like, this is it. Like, this is, this is all there is. And, um, and it was very deeply unsatisfying even though I thought oh you know I got the job that I wanted I've created the business that I want like I make the income that I want like everything was on paper seemed like a good thing but it was just very deeply I was just deeply deeply unhappy with everything and so from that time I think that's around Rin when I started, you know, writing the blog and doing a lot more of this crafting and knitting and things like that. Um, I started to like break down my whole life into little bits. And I think it was, it was triggered by the fact that like I had started Sweet Georgia when I was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was 2005 and I was starting that yarn dyeing business at the same time as I was also running this graphic design business, like a full-time graphic designer, web developer. And that's also a very, very demanding job because there's lots and lots of um, requests from, from clients and things like that. So I'm constantly dealing with sort of a service end um, business where I'm emailing for like four or five hours a day, answering questions, helping, troubleshooting, problem solving. There's a lot of that kind of stuff happening. Um, and at the same time, uh, I was building Sweet Georgia and it, it was also growing extremely rapidly, like faster than I had ever imagined. And those two things combined together kind of led to uh, becoming totally overwhelmed with work. 
And so I got to the point where I kind of like stopped everything and for a year didn't do anything except start to do a little bit more dyeing, a little bit more dyeing, a little bit more dyeing. And then through those things that I was dyeing, I was kind of um, like painting. So you're kind of expressing Mm. everything that you're feeling through what you're dyeing. And whatever I was putting onto the yarn was kind of how I felt. And I would start to send some of these things out and I sent them out to some other designers and friends and things like that. And they would go out into the world, these yarns would go out into the world and what would come back would be stories through email or through whatever where people were telling me about the things that they had made with them, the shawls that they had knit for friends, friends who were grieving, family members who were celebrating weddings. Like it was... It was amazing to hear that the things that I had sort of partially made and sent out into the world were coming back with stories of joy or celebrating or, you know, helping someone comfort their grief. Just, there's a lot of, it, it, it just felt like they were, they were helping other people in their lives. And in turn, that gave me more meaning to my life. Um, yeah. It's so amazing how knitting can do that, isn't it? Yeah. That we can give, you know, through that, you know, and the fact that people were getting in touch with you. And and I'm just thinking back to when you you, you had your quarter-life crisis <laughs> and you discovered, you know, because we were kind of, you were kind of going into the, you know, real spiritual realm or that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that place where is this, is this it? You know, like, that it's it just mean? sort of, you know, a facade, you know, these things that are, you know, um, uh, like material things in our lives. And that's not where the, the true meaning is, you know? And so I think that that's what's so amazing about knitting. And there's something really magical that happens when, you know, you put those sticks together, I think, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, so on your dyeing process, you know, cause you, you started dyeing, you're, you're known for your hand dyes, hand dyed yarn and the colors are absolutely brilliant. I mean, the first time I ever saw you was on the show floor of uh, the National Needle Arts Association trade show, which if anyone's listening that doesn't know, I mean, it's, you know, big, big deal, big deal for knitters, as I like to call it, Vegas for knitters. But um, anyway, um, you know, how do you, how do you do, so you started dying, like what, in your kitchen? <laughs> you know, how did, yeah. how did it all start? Because I love to hear those early stories. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I initially I started spinning and spinning fiber um, in my in my town. There was no fiber that was hand dyed or dyed. There was no colored fiber, basically. It was all white and plain. And so the thought of having to spin all of this white fiber really just didn't appeal to me. And I saw in the yarn harlot on her blog that she had done a little bit of experimental dyeing. And I was like, oh, I'm very inspired. I could try that. I could do that. And I started researching all this stuff on the internet. And again really just self-taught over the internet and books and things. Wow. And just started looking up, you know, different ways to dye. And I started with Kool-Aid in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. And then like a week later, went out and I bought like all these um, acid dyes and things like that and bought all this equipment (laughs) and pots and stuff like that. And started just experimenting on Saturday afternoons um, at the dining room table, just, you know, covered everything with some newspaper and just started doing stuff. And um, yeah, and the, I think the whole thing was that I was just blogging about everything as uh, I was as I was doing it, documenting what I'd made, how I was doing it. Um, I was sending out questions into the world, like, "Oh, what should I do here?" And you know, "Is there a better way to do this?" And all this kind of stuff. And um, just was really encouraged by the community and the feedback that I got from there. So, what kind of dyes do you use? I mean, like, what's your, you know, is there something special about the kind that you use? I mean, do you still do it in home, or do you have like a big you know, kind of studio now? Well, we do have a big studio right now where we, you know, produce all the yarns we, we need for Sweet Georgia and stuff like that. But I've done tons of different kinds of dyeing. So everything like from the Kool-Aid to acid dyeing, which is um, a kind of dye that works specifically for wool and silk fiber. And that's my preference because I like to knit with wool and I love how color um, is absorbed by silk. I love how that shine and that sheen. So those are the fibers that I enjoy working with. So for Sweet Georgia, we use acid dyes for that. Um, But I've done tons of natural dyeing in the past too before. And I love how there's so much variability that can happen with natural dyes. Like 
one of the ones that I find super fascinating is cochineal. And so if you die with this cochineal, which is it's a, it's a bug um, hmm. that you just squish up. It's a dried bug. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you squish it up and um, it produces like a pink red color. And so if you start to change the pH of the, um, the dye bath, you can start to get a color that's more magenta or you can start to get a color that's more orangey red kind of color. So like you can shift a dye color just by changing a couple of these things in the dye pot, like a couple of characteristics of the dye pot. So I find that really, really fascinating. But that's interesting to do on a small level. It's not it's not feasible, at least for me, to do on a large scale and have it repeatable and all these kinds of things. Yeah. But it's it's just super good fun. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, are you are you still involved in the process? Are you do you have your hands in the dye pots? I'm not dying on a day to day basis, and part of it is because there's so much stuff that needs to be done for running a business. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to spend that time to be dying there and then taking time away from other things like providing good direction for the 15 people that work at Sweet Georgia now. Like, wow, it's kind of like it, it would not necessarily be a good use of time to sit there, the dye pots and do that because my job is now to create the direction and the path and the systems and the process so that everybody else can enjoy their work well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be too luxurious for me to be dying and be kind of like, okay, you guys, you're on your own, right? Right. So, yeah, but well, I, do, I, uh, I do develop the different colors um, and we dye a new color every month for our club and I do a lot of the colorway development and stuff like that. And so that requires me to be in the studio and dying and things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I guess I asked, wanted to ask that question because I was wondering, you know, like it's that fine line or that that place where a lot of creatives, you know, find themselves. Like, mm. do how big do I want to be? You know, do I still want to have my hand in the dye pot, so to speak? Mm. Or am I going to focus on product development and, you know, training employees and so forth? So mm. I guess that, and and it sounds like that was a good decision for you and you've, you're happy with that. So, you know, yay. Yeah. No, I think it's, <laughs> it's I think really... It's, yeah, I think it is. It's like that fine balance, right? Because you want to be an artist and you want to be creative and you want to do all those things. But at a certain point in time, I'm also, I'm responsible now for people and the livelihoods of people, which is, it's a great responsibility and I don't take it lightly. Sure. Um, I, uh, It's important that what we do, we do well and we, you know, we can support these people who have decided to dedicate their time to working with us. Yeah. So it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So where did the name Sweet Georgia come from? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I started the blog in 2004 and I called it Sweet Georgia. And I think originally it was because I wanted to write about baking. Uh, at the time, I was really into baking bread and things like that. And I had sort of these little dreams about starting a bakery. And I thought Sweet Georgia would be the group a great name for a bakery, um, especially since we have like a Georgia Street and a Georgia Strait in Vancouver um, to have. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's kind of okay. where the name came from. I know people, they all wonder whether we're from Georgia and they're, they're all like, what? You're in Canada? That's not right. Um, or they think that my name is Georgia. So they'll like address emails to Georgia or they'll call and ask for Georgia. It's just, Georgia. It's funny. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes it's just a name, but like a lot of times there's a reason behind the name, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just, I really was intrigued and I had to know. Yeah. So like one of the things I was asking about sort of the, the health and the, the, the benefits of knitting and things like that, um, I found that after I... I stopped baking and I did more knitting, I lost 30 pounds just from <laughs> not eating the things that I had baked and instead spending the time knitting. So yeah, see, <laughs> there you go. It's, it's a weight loss method. That's so great. maybe that's how I should market the podcast, you know, you want to lose weight. It, yeah, exactly. Or other things. I mean, anyway, that, that would be a whole other tangent, but talking about the health benefits of knitting and crocheting, you know, yeah. this whole initiative that the CYCA um, started a couple years ago, you know, and now, you know, you've got medical professionals that have proven that it does lower, you know, reduce uh, stress, um, you know, anyway, makes you happier, makes you healthier. So there you go. That's mm-hmm. all, you know, you know it as soon as you pick up the needles. 
So it's not, you know, it's not easy to compete in an industry that's so saturated. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, when you started out in 2005, what was it that made you stand apart from the many other yarn companies out there? Um, Well, yeah, like you said, there's like tons and tons of hand dyers out there. And um, I know that when I, because I stopped my work and then I came back to my work in about 2008, 2009. And when I came onto Ravelry, I looked and there was like, thousands of yeah. hand dyers and I think Crazy. now there's like over 3,000 people <gasps> who are just really? like self-proclaimed hand dyers and who, who've self-identified on Ravelry this is like not including people who aren't connected to Ravelry who are also doing hand dyeing or selling on Etsy or all these kinds of things um, so yeah there's tons of people out there doing like crazy awesome cool amazing things um, I think for me the thing that um I really wanted was to create a hand dyed yarn that was all those things like innovative and had the like the unapologetic color like I talk about the saturated color color where I don't have to apologize for liking lime green I don't have to apologize (laughs) for you know liking things that are you know saturated or vibrant or all those kinds of things like in Vancouver everybody wears gray and black that's that's the uniform and I, I want it to be okay to say, hey, I enjoy color. Um, and that's that's all good. And that a lot of hand dyers are, you know, doing lots of vibrant, saturated colors and things like that. But I think the challenging thing about hand-dyed yarn is that we dye in very, very small dye lots. Um, dye lots can be very difficult to match from one match to the other. Um, a, a lot of dyers are... Uh, being very, very creative, and they're able to create beautiful yarns, but they're not reproducible. They're not repeatable. And that makes it a challenge for people who are knitting at the other end. So if you're dying and you're just enjoying the dying process, that's awesome, and you get to make whatever you like. But when I'm thinking about hand dyeing yarns, I'm thinking about what's the knitter going to do with them at the end of the day? Like, how are they going to work with this yarn? So for me, it's really, really important that the yarn that we dye is consistent from dye lot to dye lot. So that way, you know, if you buy one yarn now and buy another skein three months later because you need some more to finish your project or whatever, that they're not wildly different, that there is a way to incorporate the two and have it be somewhat seamless. That Those kinds of things are important to me. Um, having a yarn colorway that is repeatable, that uh, if, you know, if you want to buy more three months from now that again you can get another color that will match and things like that so it's kind of like enjoying all the good parts of hand dyed yarns without all of the stress and anxiety that goes along with hand dyed yarns like Mm -hmm. working with hand dyed yarns um, and making yarn that's really reliable and trustworthy in this sort of this niche right um yeah. Another mm-hmm. part of what the thing that we uh, we stress is that all of our yarns are plied. They're all uh, plied for strength. So that way, whatever you're making should last. Because I know for me, it takes me forever to make mm-hmm. a sweater or a shawl and things like that. And you pour so much time, energy, investment into this thing. And then at the end of the day, it, like within a couple of days, it starts to felt or fall apart. Oh, or yeah. All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. pill. That would drive me absolutely mental. So again, like it's really <laughs> important to me that the yarns that we work with are ones that will last. So do you spin your yarns or do you, you, you know, how do you produce your yarns or do you get them from a, a different source and then you focus on the, 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 the dyeing aspect? Yeah, so we work with a number of different mills all over and we we work with them on things like, you know, what kind of fibers to blend together, what kind of twist, what kind of thickness, how many plies, all of these kinds of things to develop the kind of yarns that we like. Um, and then they spin the yarns for us and then we focus on the the color application and the dyeing, setting the dye so it doesn't bleed, all of these kinds of things. Um, we also offer spinning fibers for people who like to spin, uh, spin their own yarn, because I like to spin as well. Um, and yeah, so that's been something that we've done since the beginning is always offer spinning fiber. So you have, ro- you sell roving yeah, as well? Yeah. Okay, I, I didn't that's realize. That's quite, cool. Yeah, that's quite unique for, I think, a lot of hand iron companies right now. Yeah, that is definitely unique. And I, and I had no idea because, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled, you know, in the, in, with spinning and you're just, 
all of a sudden inspiring me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's I may have to get, meditative. <laughs> may have to, you know, um, get some, some of that from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, so can you, can you share a bit of an overview about the different yarns and fibers that are in the collection right now? Oh yeah. I mean, we dye everything from sort of like lace weight to sweater, heavier weight yarns and things like that. So we, um, we, yeah, we do lace weight yarns. There's a mix of merino, superwash merino. There's silk, cashmere. Um, so yeah, there's a very wide range of things. So yarns that could be considered staple yarns, like um, a superwash worsted that we have or superwash DK. Uh, those are 100% superwash merino yarns that you can make into your everyday sweaters and those kinds of things. Or a lot of merino silk blends that could be used for like finer, more luxury garments, that kind of thing. Mm, that's exciting. Yeah. I think in Creative Knitting, we have, um, we're using Sweet Georgia mm-hmm. in an upcoming issue. And I'm, I can't think, I know it, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a, the lace weight. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. I can't really talk too much about it because it's not <laughs> out yet, but but it is coming. We're finally using your yarn. <laughs> Very excited. So, you know, can, can, um, can the listeners find out about, can they buy your yarn online or do they need to go to a yarn shop? To purchase? Yeah, so we currently work with about over 350 yarn shops all over. So yeah, you can go to your local yarn shop and we really encourage you to shop at your local yarn shop. That's totally, totally what we encourage. Great. Um, And we're really, really happy to work with the retailers that we do. They're all super awesome. Um, But it's totally understandable that um, many people live in communities where they don't have a really good local yarn shop yet or they can't get access really easily. And so for that, we do also have an online store where people can order. Um, we have very limited stock available to ship right away. And so that's why a lot of the stuff that we do is die to order for customers who order online. So that's why I always encourage you to go to your local yarn store because mm-hmm. you can get it right away. Sure. Absolutely. So this is great. Nice overview um, about the company. So now I want to switch gears a little bit. So I want to talk about a few more things. You've got a podcast <laughs> and a book, but let's talk about the podcast. Um, so you just started a couple months ago. So I want to, I want the listeners to know about your, your show, how, what it's about, what your concept, you know, is your focus and, um, you know, how long you've been doing this. Mm-hmm. So I started doing the podcast in uh, late July. I launched, I think, right after my birthday. And it's something that's been on my mind for years and years now. I follow um, a lot of other podcasts that are not at all knitting related. They're super nerdy and super geeky, <laughs> um, but they have nothing to do with knitting. And I've enjoyed them for years and years and years. And I just thought, oh, this could be another way for me to connect with people in the community because I think like what you mentioned going to the National Needle Arts Association um, trade show the Tina Ney show uh, twice a year that is like one of my most favorite things because I just get to oh, yeah. talk to people and um, I get to hear about what they're doing I get to hear about what they're working on what they're interested in um, and I kind of really enjoy this like this me talking to you right now is kind of weird because I don't spend very much time talking about myself. Usually I really enjoy (laughs) listening to other people talk about themselves. And so I felt like I was having lots of good conversations at TNA and meeting lots of really interesting people. And these are people that knitters in my own local community would never really get a chance to meet um, unless they were to go to TNA, which they're not really allowed to go to because they have to be like in industry people. Um, and so I thought of the podcast as a way to sort of connect these people like the knitwear designers or spinning teachers and things like that with people in the community and allow them to share their stories. And really, I wanted to always touch on the idea of, you know, how people use color, how people incorporate color into their work, um, how, you know, color has affected their practice, all of these kinds of things. And uh, so that's one aspect of it. Um, and another aspect of it is because I have a, an almost two-year-old baby right now mm-hmm. and another one on the way. Oh, uh, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> I'm always really, really envious and interested in how other other women manage to be so prolific with their work and have, you know, lots of kids running around and things like that. So there's a little bit of 
um, my own personal interest in trying to discover the productivity secrets of other people. Um, and that's all kind of in the podcast as well. That's exciting. So, um, yeah, I was just going to talk about TNNA. Lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, that happens. That happens a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so this whole um, this whole idea of connecting to designers, which I I think is a really special thing. You know, I know for myself. Um, yeah, you know, it, it was such a career builder for me. You know, as an editor, and if it wasn't for TNNA, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. And it's a community. It's like a you know, I consider these people like my friends, you know, and la- the last TNNA, I actually did a podcast on location. So I'm looking forward to doing that more and more if I can. So just to be able to like go into a room, you know, and just, you know, chat with designers or, or even just walk down the show floor, you know, just say, here I am on the show, you know, on the show floor, this is what's, what's up, you know? So, um, it's a really, it's a really exciting place to mm-hmm. be. It's a really super fun medium to do too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, that's great. So what's the name of your podcast? Is it, does it have a name or? Yeah, we called it the Sweet <laughs> Georgia Show. <laughs> the Sweet Georgia Show. Well, that yeah. makes sense now, doesn't I it? Know. <laughs> hmm. And so how often are your episodes released? So right now I'm releasing um, episodes once a week. Um, and so, Yeah. And so what are the design, some of the designers that are on, is it mostly designers or do you have any other types of like oh, yes, knitters or lifestyle? We have um, knitwear designers. I've talked to a bunch of spinning people and there's like some knitters from our community that have very interesting backstories. Um, I have uh, yarn shop owners that I've talked to as well. Um, yeah. That's so great. I think most recently we've talked to like Jane Richmond is one of the designers that we've talked to lately. Uh, there was Kate Atherley. Um, we have some future episodes coming up with Amy Herzog and Carol Feller. Um, yeah, so exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. Okay, so, and you have a book. Mm-hmm. So, so share. So, yeah, I'm working mm-hmm. on uh, my first Well, you don't, right you don't have a book. It's I almost, it's, sorry, it's, I'll it's just... It's in the works. <laughs> I have to write it still. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm working on um, a book right now for Interweave. And it's really exciting because it's something that's been on my list for years and years. I've always wanted to write a book, but I was like, what am I going to write about? I don't know what I would write about. Um, <laughs> and now it's kind of all finally come together in this idea of basically writing about dyeing dyeing both yarn and fiber for spinning and knitting and then the different techniques that you can use for spinning with that fiber or knitting with that yarn to get the different effects that you want so it's i'm hoping it's going to be a really nerdy book where it just kind of goes a lot into techniques and things like that um so that you have sort of like a recipe book or yeah recipe book of Mm -hmm. different ideas that you can try um and i'm hoping that the colors are just inspiring um i don't need people to like replicate the things that are in the book i want them to take it and be sort of energized and inspired to go off and try their own things so i'm excited about this potentially coming out so did you pitch the book to interweave or did they come to you and and ask uh they came to me and asked yeah so let's switch gears a little bit here. I want to ask you if you, do you have a quirky knitting style? <laughs> um, like a really silly, a really silly way that you knit? <laughs> I don't know if it's a really silly way. I saw like I learned from a, a book and in the book they show throwing, right? English style throwing. So I learned initially that. And then um, on the internet, I discovered lever knitting and I switched to that because it was a promise of faster knitting. And so <laughs> I kind of yeah. do this combination switching back <laughs> between English style throwing and lever knitting. Um, lever knitting. I've never heard of that before i was going to ask if you were a pick a picker or a thrower which you know is yeah but so lever lever hmm, is kind of like interesting hold the 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 right hand needle in your right hand like a pencil and um yeah and so you never drop the needle and the mere fact that you're not dropping the needle and picking it up again uh theoretically should save you some time that sounds quirky. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's a little quirky. But I think maybe the quirkiest thing that I did was um, I was so obsessed with, you know, productivity and being fast with knitting and all that kind of stuff that I would 
drive and knit at the same time. I would knit. No I way. Knit. It's a horrible thing. Don't. don't you're not allowed to tell anybody. Nobody, oh my gosh, nobody tell- do that. Nobody do that. Nobody do that. It's a bad, <laughs> oh bad thing. I stopped doing it. But um, yeah, that's oh what goodness. I used to do. I've had fantasies about knitting while I was driving, but I've never done it. But, oh, that's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Well, when I see you, because I will see you um, at one of the shows, you'll have to show me. I don't know okay. if you're going to be in San Diego. I'm planning on San Diego in January. So, um, yeah, you better bring those needles. <laughs> I'll show you. That's, that's pretty cool. And what about a story? I mean, you know, like uh, you've, you've told, you know, you shared your background earlier, but I, I know for myself and a lot of knitters have unusual or funny stories about, a, you know, a project they made really fast or, you know, it, you know something they made in the dark or not just you know, because I made something in the dark. Um, but do you, do you have a, a you know, just a, a, a funny or unusual story? No, they're not funny stories at all. No? Because okay. they're all stories about me making sweaters that don't fit. Uh, <laughs> so that's no good. You don't want to hear those. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll skip that. Um, <laughs> so as far as... Um, you know, I had a question, uh, you know, this was one of the questions I sent to you, Felicia, you know, advice for anyone wanting to start out in this industry. And it would have, obviously it would be in, in the, you know, hand dyeing area. You know, it's so saturated. I mean, there's so many people doing it, but if someone is really determined to just, you know, just make their mark and maybe start on their path to designing, you know, to creating, you know, hand dyed yarns or, or just something to, to benefit knitters, how, how might you guide them? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really, really tricky thing now. Or it might have been back then, too. Because but, you, but you know what? You were just like doing something that you were passionate about. It was yeah. like you, knew, you didn't know what you didn't know, sort of. And you yeah. just did it. And all of a sudden, you had, you're like, oh, I have a business. And, and that, that's exactly it. Because somebody who's passionate about wanting to do it and wanting to start something, there's no way that you can kind of convince them not to. Because this is not really a head equation thing. This is definitely like where your heart is. And if your heart is, you know, passionate about making colors or dyeing or knitting and making knitting patterns, all these kinds of things, these are things that you can almost not be convinced not to do, even though people will tell you that, you know, it's so difficult. Um, so I think the only thing that I could encourage people to do um, is maybe give them advice that I never took when I started that I wish I had done, um, which is things like, you know, do your research, write a business plan. Like it doesn't have to be a 20 page document, but you have to, you have to write down your goals and what you're trying to do in a way almost like to convince yourself that this is a good idea because it is a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe the only thing that I could maybe suggest is also, you know, try to surround yourself with good support, like lots of people who can help, um, lots of people that you can lean Mm -hmm. on for advice. Um, I found that with my business, things really took off when I had someone to bounce ideas off of. You know, I have a business mentor um, that I work with for, uh, for a couple of years now, and that's been really, really fantastic to have somebody objective to talk to. Um, because I think as creative people, we have tons and tons of ideas. And it's sometimes hard to focus on the right ideas or, um, yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. That's great. You know, I know for myself, I have um, accountability partners. Mm -hmm. Also, they call them masterminds. Um, That's kind of like a buzzword. But, you know, um, this concept has been around a long time, actually, the mastermind concept. And so I connect with people every week. You know, um, actually, Tabitha Hedrick is one of those people. Mm -hmm. um, But I do have other, you know, and she works with you now, which is really pretty exciting. Um, But, you know, just to be able to do that, like you say, you know, there's, we have all these ideas and as, you know, people that are out there making things and, and, and also you, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes, if so to speak, you know what I mean? And you need to have that, that feedback. You need to have that person, you know, willing to give you really honest advice in a way that's coming from 
you know, a loving place, from a kind place, not like an ego place, someone that's your friend almost too, you know? So it's, it's hard to find, but you know what? I think the more you put yourself out there and you connect with people for the reasons of creating relationships Mm -hmm. as opposed to what can they do for me? You know what I mean? Then you're going to find, yeah, you're going to find those special people that become friends too and business colleagues or people that you can create those amazing things with. And yeah, I feel lucky myself, you know, uh, I, I, um, my, my boss at Creative Knitting will say, well, they're all, all these designers, they're all your friends, you know? (laughs) And, um, you know, it's true. I mean, I work with these people and I value the relationships that I have and they, they also become my friends and they're just valued partners too. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. And so then, you know, I'm kind of just adding to what you said, really, it's definitely, you know, is to find those people that can support you and, Mm -hmm. and also be, share that, that really honest advice. Because mm-hmm. I find like I, I turn to my husband to ask him all the time for advice as well. Um, because it's not enough for him to be standing on the sidelines and going, rah, rah, you know, you can do it. Because mm. that's not necessarily the thing that I need for the business. Right. It, um, because he's my husband and partner and all these kind of things, like it's important that he know where the business is going and what the point of the business is and all these kinds of things. So a lot of times it, it, it takes that objective point of view to sort of cut through and say, okay, this is what should actually happen versus like, I have idea A, B, C, and D, and I want to do all of them. And he's like, no, which one's the most mm-hmm. important? Like all of them are important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, I think it is, um, I think I, I read this recently from Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote that book, Eat, Pray, Love, but it's not her quote. It's like somebody else. And I heard this ages ago and it's something about how like in your twenties and thirties, you're like super concerned with what other people are thinking of you. Right. And it's debilitating all this stress and pressure (laughs) of what other people think of you. And then in your forties and fifties, you start to get over that and be like, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks of what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it. And then in your sixties and seventies, you start to really realize that nobody was actually thinking about you. That. That's so funny. Yeah. Yes. And I think so. I, I also kind of remember this when I went to SOAR um, one year and I, I happened to go to the spa and there were some participants from SOAR, which is the uh, interweave, interweave spinning spin off autumn retreat. <laughs> so it's basically mm-hmm. like a spinning wow. retreat. Wow. And it's at a resort area and stuff like that. And I happened to go to the spa and overheard some conversations from some other ladies. And they were talking about, like, what was the best decade for you? And they were like, hmm, you know, I think things started to really get good in my 60s. And hmm. so I've always kind of taken it as, you know, there's so much more positive stuff that's going to happen. And so, you know, don't worry so much about what people think of what you're doing right now. Just do your own thing. And, you know, it's going to be okay. So, I don't know. I get lots mm-hmm. of encouragement from that kind of feeling. No, that, that is, is really, really very, uh, you know, great advice that someone gave you along the way. And, um, yeah, so, so stop stressing about yourself yeah, <laughs> It's the bottom worry. line here, just, isn't it? Just do whatever you don't want. Don't worry. Yeah, just yeah, do that's whatever great. you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So sh- how about a personal habit? Do you have one, like, you know, overarching habit that, you know, do or die, it's, it is the thing that contributes to your overall success, like a daily habit. You know what I mean? Yes. A, dis, a discipline, yes. if you will. Yes. And um, I think I might have mentioned this a couple of times, maybe on the blog. I mentioned it when I talked to Tabitha. Like, I am a huge, 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 huge fan of GTD or the Getting Things Done book. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got you. it. I will tell anybody who's willing to listen. <laughs> but I think that this tell, is tell. the most, it was the most life-changing thing for me, like in terms of organization of your time and the things that you need to do and things like that. Um, and the concept behind it is basically that your brain is not designed to store things or remember things. Your, desi- your, your brain is designed to come up with ideas. And then once you have the idea, if you write it down in a place where you trust and you remember to go to that place, um, then your mind can be free and, 
it, it's just, it's done so much to like take away uh, a lot of stress and a lot of burden of having to think of the hundred things that are on your to-do list. Now I don't have to remember my to-do list, right? It's in a place where I can go reference it when I need to. And at the, and then the rest of the time I can just spend thinking of things that I want to do. So that has been amazing. I encourage everybody to read it. It's a great book. And isn't there like a big cult following, you yes. know, behind him? I mean, he's, is, is he the one that coined the term brain dump? Uh, is that uh, in his book? Yeah. Mind, mind, uh, mind like water, he says, and brain dump. Well, mind like water. Yeah. That, that's yeah. it. That quote by, can't pronounce the name of the, I love that mind like water. That is so cool. <laughs> just to visualize that. But um, here's another book for you, Felicia um, and everyone. It's called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. I read this book years ago. I still have the hard hard copy. I have the, you know, the Kindle version and it's like a quarter of an inch, maybe a half, let's say half an inch. Yeah. It's a half an inch thick. I read it in about an hour Mm -hmm. and it's like 21 ways to not procrastinate, but it's more like, I don't know, he should, I think it should have had a different subtitle because it's really actionable advice for how to structure your day. Mm-hmm. Like he has this thing called an ABCDE method, how to kind of group what it is you're going to do and put things into buckets. So it's, um, it's along the same lines as David Allen, but I not you know, it's just, I think it was written even before getting things done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Brian Tracy's been around forever. But that is a book that I think everyone should check out mm-hmm. because it's it, it's like a pocket, you know, it's like a like a pocket guide almost. You know what I mean? And there's like and, recommendation um, is really like do the hard thing first, do the worst thing exactly, first. and then it well, right, it's done, eat that, yeah, yeah. So that's what it, why it's called eat that frog mm-hmm. because the thing that he says is eat your your biggest frog first thing in the morning. That's great advice. And then um, <laughs> Tabitha has really been encouraging me with this whole miracle morning stuff. Oh, good. Have yeah. Because I, you, that? <laughs> um, no, you know what? I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you know, because, uh, well, you, I think you know that I'm a part of that group and uh, also, and yeah, I'm, she hasn't mentioned that you're interested, but there's like, this great accountability group, like for the people that have read the book. I mean, you can, you can join even if you haven't yet read the book. But it's a community. It's a wonderful community. It's like a you know people that are that are helping each other stay accountable to you know just to wake up in the morning and really use that 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 prime time you know this first two hours or whatever you've got in the morning where it's like your little time capsule of of space that nobody can come find you, your boss can't follow you, you can you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and just how to use this these things called savers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Tabitha went through that whole, the whole spiel there, but um, you go through these, these specific practices and savers is an acronym for different activities. I won't go into it, but um, so yeah, are you, so you're, you're kind of on the fence. You're thinking about it. You, have I you gotten I'd the book like to do that? But it, it's been kind of challenging because, you know, up till, well, last week, Russell was really, he was waking up. Oh, so my two-year-old baby, he's been waking up around like 6.30 in the morning. So um, it was a challenge to try to get up even earlier than that to like have mm-hmm. lots of free time. But now he's waking up a little bit later, thanks to like some jet lag that we've been having from a trip that oh. we took to Asia. So now he's waking up later and I've been waking up early and getting a little bit of time in the morning to like, you know, just get my desk clear, get my day sorted, you know, organize what I'm going to do today and all that kind of stuff. And it's been, it's just been miraculous. It's been awesome. Oh, that's great. So you, so yeah, so you've been doing it. So yeah, it is, it's pretty amazing. I mean, and like the way that Hal Elrod in in his book, Miracle Morning, you know, he says, you know, like when you, you should feel like it's Christmas morning, you know, you're getting up to do these things that are like really inspiring. So I'm always going to be a fan until everybody has to go and, you know, get the Miracle Morning and Mm. get it, you know, be a morning practitioner. So it's pretty cool. And so, um, yeah. Awesome. So let's see. So now, you know, we've been on a while. Wow, this is great. So uh, Felicia, we, we beat that, you know, 30 minutes that you thought you couldn't <laughs> talk for more than 30 minutes about yourself that we were, we were discussing in the pre-chat. It's almost an hour. Um, so how can people 
find out about you, about Sweet Georgia Yarns, about your podcast? Can you share some contact info? I think the best place that people can go is our website, which is sweetgeorgiayarns.com. I don't know when we're going to post this episode, but we are currently uh, re- doing our website completely from the ground up so depending on when you hear this you might see our brand new website which would be really 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 exciting um and so if you're not going to go to the website the the website has the blog information has all the podcast stuff on there the shop all that kind of stuff any retailers that you want to find everything you can find through the website uh, for everything else, I do try to post frequently to Instagram at Sweet Georgia. Um, and you can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter, all those kinds of things. But I mostly spend the time on Instagram if I'm not blogging. Awesome. So do you have, I mean, you know, here's a, you were, we were talking we were talking during the pre-chat about a little special that you have for the Power Pearls listeners. Oh, yeah. So we were saying that we can uh, offer a 15% uh, discount off of any hand-dyed yarns that you might like for any of the Power Pearls listeners. And you just enter the code POWERPEARLS at the checkout, and that'll get you the 15% off. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So they'll have some good time to take advantage of this. So this is great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Felicia. This was really, this was really exciting. This was really insightful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Felicia and I want to make sure that you definitely take advantage of her generous offer to get 15% off. This offer is good until July 31st, 2015. So with the holidays upon us, the timing is perfect. So head on over to shop dot sweetgeorgiayarns.com and enter power pearls all caps all one word at checkout and if you haven't had a chance yet please visit itunes and leave a rating and review for this podcast now you can also get there by going to powerpearlspodcast.com and you'll see the big button the big itunes button that is at the very top of the page Now, this is important because it really helps get the show noticed by other knitters. This is so important because it will really help me get the word out about the show to more knitters and those wanting to learn this craft that we're all so passionate about. And also, if you have a special knitting story, I'd love to hear from you as well. So you can go to powerpearlspodcast.com and click the tell your story link at the very top of the page. And you can leave me a short voice recording about yourself and about your story and why you think you should be a guest on the show. And also, if you know, if you just have a general comment or question or want your burning questions answered, you can also leave a recording for that as well. Because each month, Tabitha Hedrick and I answer your burning knitting questions on Ask Carrot and Tabitha Anything. And I also want to disclose that the books and other products that I mention on this podcast are links found on the show notes pages. And if you click through and make a purchase, I do actually make a small Amazon affiliate commission. And, you know, this small amount that comes my way really helps offset my production costs to create Power Pearls. And this podcast is free. It's always going to be. So your support in this way really helps me keep these episodes coming. And for that, I really am so very, very grateful. So with that, I will leave you and I look forward to seeing you next time.